Hey, this is Byron, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church. Thanks for listening to our weekly sermon podcast. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, and helps you experience life change through Jesus. For more sermons like this, blogs, resources, or opportunities to get connected, visit us at www.redemptiontx.com. Week 10 of our study through the book of Joshua that we are calling Living for a Legacy. This whole series is designed to build you up, to encourage you, to inspire you, to motivate you to live a life that makes a difference and to leave a legacy. And so with that being said, I want you to turn with me to Joshua chapter 9. And today the sermon title is going to be called The Opposite of... Of prayer. Now, I had a really crazy busy week this week, and I didn't have as much time to put into sermon prep as I normally do. So I'm going to need a little audience participation to be able to help with the introduction today, okay? Can y'all do that? Give me a little audience participation. All right. So how many of you, when you were kids, remember playing the game Opposite Day? Did you ever play that? Yeah. Now, you and your friends had fun, but it drove your mom crazy, right? Today's opposite day. That's what it is here at the church as well. So I'm going to say something. I need you to tell me what the opposite of that thing is. What is the opposite of yes? Left. Up. What is the opposite of cat? Mac. PC. PC. Yeah. Okay. There we go. What's the opposite of (laughs) mac and cheese? That is a man after my own heart right there. (laughs) Opposite of Mac is cheese. Come on, somebody. That's good. That's good. All right. How about this one? How about this one? What is the opposite of prayer? It's a good question, isn't it? It's a good question. See, what most people would say is the opposite of prayer is prayerlessness, but that's not actually the case. As I was thinking about it this week and just studying the text, here's what I came to the conclusion is that the opposite of prayer is actually pride. And here's the reason why pride is the opposite of prayer. If you're taking notes, write this down. It's gonna be the thought that guides this sermon today. And here's the reason why. It's because pride is trusting yourself more and trusting God less. That's what pride is. Pride is trusting yourself more than when you actually trust God. Prayer is trusting God. Pride is when you trust more in yourself that you can do it without God, that you know better than God, that you want better for yourself than God wants for you, that you don't need God's help, you don't need God's direction, you don't need God's guidance, you don't need God's blessing, you don't need God's favor on your life because you're gonna make your own decisions without going to him to get direction. That's, that's pride. And the, the Bible has a lot to say when it comes to the subject of pride versus prayer. I mean, James talks about this and he says that, that, that if you exalt, you exalt yourself by humbling yourself, that God opposes the proud, but what does he do? He gives grace to the humble. John the Baptist, he famously said it like this. He says, I must decrease so that he can increase. And all that is, is that's putting God first, seeking God's will, seeking God's presence in your life through prayer. And so when we pray, that's when we begin to see God do amazing things. But when we have a posture of pride, it becomes very difficult for us to pray. I was interested to learn what some of the causes of prayerlessness in people's lives are. And I know that every time you hear a sermon over prayer, here's what people think. Yeah, I need to get better at that. (laughs) 
right? Every time we hear a message over prayer, because here's what we, we know. We are supposed to pray, but we don't often pray the way that we are supposed to pray. And people struggle with prayer. And so I, I asked in the Connect page this week, what are some of the, the greatest barriers that, that prevent us from praying the way that we know we're supposed to pray? And here's some of the answers. Some people said they struggle with prayer because they know there is sin in their life. And because there's sin, they don't feel like they can go to God. And so they feel like they need to clean themselves up first, not recognizing that we go to God as we are. And God is the one who cleans us up. And so if you're struggling with sin, go to God. Because the only prayer that God guarantees an answer every single time is this, Father, forgive me. And God says, yes, I'm going to answer that prayer every time you pray that prayer. Another reason is people struggle because of busyness. That they're, they're too busy. But let me tell you, if you're too busy to pray, you're just too busy. Because it's prayer that connects us with God through that. Some people said it's due to distractions. Others say it's due to unforgiveness. Some people don't feel worthy when it comes to praying, that they can't go to God and pray because they feel bad for asking. They feel bad for presenting their requests and needs because they feel unworthy when it comes to prayer. Other people struggle with unbelief, that God won't answer, that God won't respond. Some people, they struggle with prayer due to discouragement in an area of their life. Other people struggle with prayer whenever it comes, they just don't know how to pray. They just don't get it. They don't understand it. It feels like they're talking to themselves and their prayers stop at the ceiling. And so they, they feel a little weird and a little crazy when it comes time for, for them to pray. And so sometimes people don't pray because they don't know how to pray. But one reason that I think that most people struggle with prayer is simply because of pride. An unwillingness to go to God an unwillingness to seek his heart, to seek his mind, to seek his will for our lives. Thinking that we know better, we want better, and we can do better for ourselves than what God can do for us. And that's what pride is. It is trusting in yourself more than trusting in God. It's trusting in yourself more, and it's trusting in God less. We're going to see this play out in the book of Joshua today in Joshua chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. As I said, the sermon title is The Opposite of Prayer. Joshua, he's going to get himself into a dilemma. He's going to get himself into a, a problem. He's going to enter into a circumstance that he had no business entering into that circumstance. And it's simply because he didn't pray. The, the key verse for the text is this, Joshua 9.14. It says, so the men took some of their provisions but did not ask counsel from the Lord. So he made an agreement. He made a decision without going to God first in prayer. And the ramifications for this decision, they play out in Israel's history for centuries to come because he did not stop, take the time, ask God. He did not pray. And the results were devastating for Joshua. This is why it's so important for us to pray. This is why it's so necessary for us to pray. And the reason that Joshua entered into this situation really is because of his pride. The opposite of prayer is pride. Here, here's, here's how we say I'm going to give you four things that are going to be able to be principles when it comes to your prayer life. Just four thoughts for us to hang our hat on today. The, the first thing is this, is that we need to learn how to pray first. If it doesn't start with prayer, then it's going to end in disappointment. We need to learn how to pray first. Just think about in your life how many decisions you've made that you have to go back and you have to fix retroactively. 
because you didn't, you didn't start it off with prayer. How different would our lives look if we learned to pray first? How different would our lives look if we learned how to seek God first before we make any decision? Because the truth is, if it doesn't start with prayer, it's going to end in disappointment in your life. Joshua has to learn this lesson the hard way, and hopefully today God's brought you here so you don't have to learn it the hard way. You can learn from his mistakes. The first thing we need to know is this, that we pray first. Look at how this works. As soon as all the kings were beyond the Jordan, the hill country, and in the lowland along the coasts of the great sea towards Lebanon and the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, all of the enemies, the Jebusites, the termites, the cellulites, all of the enemies of God's people, amen, heard of this, and they gathered together. One to fight against Joshua and Israel. What's the story that's happening here? Up until this point, God has been working through the nation of Israel in miracles and exciting ways. As we've already seen this happen, that every time Joshua takes new territory, the hearts of the people, they melt like wax. They melt like water. And the nations that they're taking, they're afraid of them. And so Joshua, what do we see is that there is a battle that is on the horizon. There is a, a fight that he's about to face. Here's what I know about all of us, is that in your life, you're either coming from a battle, you're in a battle, or you're about to be in a battle. Every single one of us, we have fights that we don't know that we are facing. There's fights that other people are facing. But every single one of us, life is a war. Life is a battle. There will be a fight. Joshua, he is entering into a, a territory. So all the kings of that nation, they rise up against Joshua. And now they want to come and fight. There is a battle that is on his horizon. But here's the problem. Is that Joshua, he's feeling a little cocky. I mean, he just come out of a great victory. I mean, in Joshua chapter seven, we saw the walls of Jericho fall down. What we've seen before that is as he steps his foot into the river Jordan, the rivers part, they walk past on dry ground. In the battle of Ai in the chapter just before, we see God do an amazing victory in their lives. They recommit themselves with the covenant before God. And by the time we reach uh, chapter nine, here's what's happened. Joshua's feeling pretty good about himself. The Lord goes before me, the Lord is with me. Everywhere I put my feet, that's where I land territory. Yeah, I know these people, they want to fight me too. And so here's what he does is he, he goes into a battle without starting it with prayer. In your life, how many times do you go to a battle without starting in prayer? In your life, how oftentimes do you enter into a fight without first seeking God's face for that? In, in your life, how many situations do you find yourself in that you may not even need to be in if you would have learned how to pray first? If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. It's very important that prayer is a first response. It is not a last resort. Yeah. That's how many of us treat prayer. Many of us treat prayer like in case of emergency, break glass and pray. That we typically pray after the problems, but how different would our lives look if we learned how to pray before there's a problem? Listen, I'm not saying that prayer is going to make your life easy because we know that's not the reality. But here's what we do know is that when we pray, it will make life easier. I'm not saying that in your life, you're not gonna have problems, but what I am saying when you learn how to pray first, there's some problems that you wouldn't be having. 
Many times we enter into a fight without first seeking God in prayer. And so Joshua's feeling pretty good about himself. He's like, when I got this victory, I got this victory, I got this victory. And so then he goes and he fights with seven nations without first seeking God in prayer. I just want to say this to some people. Yesterday's victories are not enough to sustain today's battles. You need to be able to continually go to God and pray. Prayer is a first response. It is not a last resort. And this is the story that God's working in my life right now. If you come to First Wednesday prayer nights, you hear me say this every single First Wednesday, is that our church did not start as a church with prayer. Here's how our church started. Our church started with me reading every book, me reading all of the blogs, me visiting all the other churches. It started with me thinking that the way to grow a church was through great marketing, through great advertising. And if we want to reach more people, we just get more pop signs, get more greeters out in the parking lot, holding signs and waving flags. That's what I thought would, would grow the church. We had the coolest website. We had a great social media presence. We were taking out Facebook ads every single week. But here's what happens. After the first three years, our church wasn't growing. We, we were stuck. We were stalled out. I mean, people would come and then they would walk away and they wouldn't connect and they wouldn't engage and they wouldn't stay in the church. And after about three years, our church, you know, started with 170 and grew all the way down to 60 in the first three years. And so I was just wrestling with God. I'm like, God, why is our church not growing? God, why are people not getting saved or experiencing life change through Jesus the way that we wanted to? God, why are we stuck? And here's what God said, because you don't pray. Like you've done everything that you can do on your own. How about you invite me into the church? Let me set the agenda. How about you begin to pray? And instead of praying as a last resort, what would happen if you learned to teach your church how to pray as a first response? And so here's what we did. We, we incorporated prayer nights. Every first Wednesday, what do we do? We pray first. And since we started first Wednesday, you can set a trajectory of the growth of our church because when we pray first, that's when we get God's will for the church. And so we started praying first. And I can tell you, from the day we started First Wednesday prayer night, our church has continually grown. More people walking through the doors, more finances given towards the mission of God. Our tithes and offerings have more than tripled since we started prayer nights. There's 200 baptism locks on that door when you walk in through the door. I mean, just story after story of God doing miracle and breakthrough in people's lives. We're seeing power. We're seeing people worship God. We're seeing prodigal sons and daughters come back home. We're seeing people who were dead in their faith, now having a living, vibrant, active faith. We're seeing friends and family members walking through the doors. We bought a new building, all of these things, and it could all be traced back to the prayer meeting. As soon as we learned to pray first, that's when we got God's blessing on the church. And that's the same thing in your life as well, is that when you learn how to pray first, there's a lot of problems that you would not be entering into, but when we pray as a last resort, I just believe in praying preventative prayers. Like, I mean, if you could avoid confrontation, if you could avoid conflict, if you could avoid a battle, wouldn't it be good for you to be able to avoid that battle? Amen. I'm not saying that there won't be battles, but I'm saying some of y'all fighting battles that you don't need to be facing because you ain't seeking God's heart in prayer. So we, we learned from Joshua as the, as the Gibeonites and the, the Pezzarites and the termites are all coming against him. What, what, is, what should his first response be? It should be to pray first. But does Joshua do that? He doesn't pray first, which leads to the second point. If you want to see 
a legacy left in your life, if you want to experience victory in your life, if you want to see all God has for you in your life, number one, you pray first. After you pray, here's what you do second. You pray often. So, so, so we pray first, and then what do we do after we pray? Well, we pray again. We, we pray often. Number two, you pray often. Here's how the story continues. But... When the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai. So they heard what happened about the battles and the victories that they were facing. The battles that they had won. The, 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 the amazing miracles that God did in Jericho and Ai. They on their part acted with cunning. And went and made ready provisions and took worn out sacks for their clothes, donkeys and their wineskin, worn out and torn and mended with worn out patched sandals on their feet, worn out clothes. And all their provisions were dry and crumbly. And they went to Joshua and the camp of Gilgal and they said to the men of Israel, we have come from a distant country, now make a covenant with us. So let me just explain what's happening here. There are seven nations within the promised land. God guaranteed every single one of those nations as an inheritance to Israel. They come from Jericho. They come from Ai. They're feeling pretty good about themselves. The other nations are rising up. But then there's this other country named, named Gibeon, and they pretend like they're from a far off land. But Gibeon is actually only seven miles from Jerusalem. See, Joshua, he, he doesn't have discernment because he's not praying. He doesn't understand the full weight of the situation because he's not seeking God's guidance in his circumstances. And so the Gibeonites, they, they come up with a plan. They know that Israel's gonna win and Israel's gonna succeed. So they're like, hey, let's trick him. Let's deceive him. Let's, let, let's be cunning. So they all dress up in sackcloth and ashes. They have, you know, worn out shoes. They bring, you know, busted old wineskins and all these different things. And they're gonna trick Joshua into thinking they're from a very distant land. Look what it says. It says, we have come from a very distant country, all the way from Nederland to Beaumont. There we go. <laughs> so now make a covenant with us. But the men of the Israel said to the, said to him, perhaps you live among us. Then how can we make a covenant with you? Here's what they said. They said to Joshua, we are your servants. And Joshua said to them, who are you and where do you come from? They said to him, from a very distant country, your servants have come because of the name of the Lord, your God. You know what they're doing here? Right, they're playing him like a fiddle. They're just manipulating him. They're telling him what he wants to hear. This is why prayer is so important because if you don't pray, you're gonna listen to other people and you're not gonna hear from God. And it sounds really good to them. Of course you wanna enter into a covenant with me. We're awesome. I'm amazing. I'm incredible. I cannot fail. And so then they begin to manipulate him, twist the truth, and they begin to lie to them to be able to work it out in their own benefit. We're here for the Lord your God, for we have heard the reports of him and all that he has done in Egypt and all that he did among the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion, to the king of Heshbon, to Og, king of Bashan, who lived in Asheroth. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country said to us, take provisions in your hand and go to the journey to meet them and say to them, we are are your servants. Come now and make a covenant with us. I mean, he is just pouring on the flattery to Joshua. Oh, I've seen what God's been doing. I saw you, you on Instagram. I saw you on Facebook. I was talking to a friend of mine and they were just telling me all these amazing things and they are just bragging about him, flattering him. They are feeding his ego, which serves to continue to feed his pride. But I want you to see something. 
Here's all the nations that they listed. I heard what God did. I heard what God did back then. I heard what God did. I heard about Og and I heard about Bashan. I heard about Sion. I heard about the great victories that you had, but they didn't mention the most recent victories that they experienced. What are they doing? They're, they're, they're going back and they're manipulating the situation. They're feeding into Joshua's ego. They're feeding into Joshua's pride. So that way they will prevent him from praying. Because when Joshua prays, God does amazing things. But when Joshua doesn't pray, devastating things continue to happen. So our elders and all the habitants said to us, take provisions in your hand. Come now, make a covenant with us. For here is our bread. It was warm when we took it from our house as our food for the journey. And we set out to come to you. But now behold, it is dry and it is crumbly. These wineskins were new when we filled them. And behold, now they burst. And these garments and sandals of ours, they're worn out from the very long journey. So the men took some of their provisions provisions. So they welcomed them in, but they did not ask counsel from the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and he made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation, they swore to him. So the first mistake that Joshua made was that he prayed last instead of praying first. And the next lesson we learn is this, is that we need to learn how to pray often. I asked on social media this week, uh, I posted on my Instagram stories and I said, how often do you pray? And put a little poll there. You know, do you pray every day or do you pray not every day? And um, the majority, the vast majority, 90 something percent said they pray every single day. And that's amazing. That's awesome. I love to see that people have a, a heart for prayer, that we pray every day. That's a good thing. But then I asked the second question. I said, how long do you pray every day. And I put a couple different answers. I put five minutes. I put, do you pray less than five minutes? Do you pray less than 30 minutes? Do you pray for an hour or more? And out of those questions, also option D was, please do not click this. And like seven people clicked it because um, y'all rebellious. Uh, so, so here's what I discovered is that about 90% of the people who took this survey, they, they pray for five minutes a day or less than five minutes a day. And can I just encourage you, if that's all you can pray for, then that's amazing, right? If you can't pray for five minutes, my encouragement to you would be to pray for four. Because four minutes of prayer is better than no prayer in your life. But if I could really just motivate you, I would encourage you to increase your prayers, to increase the time that you get alone and the time that you spend time with God. Wake up in the morning and before you grab your phone, before you open up Instagram or Facebook, before you start firing off those emails, just make you a cup of coffee, sit down on the couch or the back room and start your day with prayer. And the more you pray, here's what happens, the more you pray. Isn't that incredible? That the more you pray, the more you learn how to pray. And so I would encourage you this week to pray often, not just pray every day, but try to stretch your prayer life to about 20 to 30 minutes every day and watch what God is going to begin to do in your life. And when you learn how to pray often, here's what you get. Praying often, it entunes your heart to the will of God for your life. Because then you're able to discern what God wants and what other people say. Now, because Joshua, he is not praying first and he's also not praying often, here's what he hears. He hears the voice of the people, but he doesn't hear the heart of the Father and he doesn't hear the voice of God because he's just surrounding himself with distractions and the more distracted he is, the more deceived he becomes. 
If you're not spending time daily in the word of God, here's what's going to happen. You're going to end up giving yourself towards distractions or you're going to give yourself over into deception. But I want you to consider something. In this story, is this a, is this a bad thing that Joshua is entering into? It's actually not a bad thing. On the surface, it actually looks really good. There's a whole nation who wants to come into covenant. It's probably going to make Joshua's army stronger. It's probably going to give him more credence when it comes to the other seven nations. It's going to prevent him from entering into a conflict with a nation that he's, you know, not ready to enter into that battle. And so on the surface, it looks like it's a really good thing. But the problem is it's not something that's from God. Let me, let me just put this phrase in your mind, something for you to think about when it comes to making decisions as you go about the week. You have to ask yourself this question, is this good or is this God? Yeah. Is this a good idea? See, here's what I think. I think the enemy to our prayer life is not evil things. Do you know why? Because oftentimes it's evil things that lead us to prayer. It's the bad things that cause us to pray. It's the troubles and the struggles that we go to that lead us into prayer. It's not evil things that is the enemy to our prayer life. Here's so many times what it is. It's good things that take the place of God's plan. Settling for less than what God has for you. It's choosing good rather than waiting on God. You have to ask yourself this question. When you make a decision, is this good or is this God? Whenever you enter into a, a dating relationship, for those of you who are single, there be some guys who act like Gibeonites. Oh, I heard about you. And then they could even use godly language. Oh, we are here to serve you. We know about the Lord your God. Okay, they're just Gibeonites. They don't love the Lord. They don't know, they don't know what God has done. Okay, they're trying to deceive you to get something from you. You got to be, be very discerning about that. Just because they use God talk don't mean they're godly. I mean, even demons believe in God. So you're like half that close to being with a demon. Okay. <laughs> But you, you got to understand is that, is that you can look at a guy, for those of you single girls, you can look at a guy. For those of you single, single men, you can be looking for a girl, and you can be so desperate for a relationship, you're deceived by another person. Yeah. I'm preaching to the singles right now, okay? <laughs> because you're like, oh, but they're good. They're good. Look how great they are. Look how good they are. Okay, but you got to ask this question. As you enter into that relationship, is it good or is it God's best for your life? It goes the same way with, with jobs or with careers. I mean, I've seen people, they get paid a, a good position, so they apply and they get the job, but they don't know all of the information about that job, and so they end up working a job, more hours, they begin to make more money, but on the flip side, they're neglecting their wife and their kids. And then it has devastating results upon their family and their legacy and the life they live because they chose a good job over God's will for their life you got to ask this question, is it good or is it God? I mean, there's a, a story of a, of, a, of a woman, she told me just the other day in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the lobby. She said, you know, Byron, I actually just bought a car, and after six months, the car continued to break down. And so I told him at the dealership, I said, you take the car, we paid off the difference, it's yours, I want out of this. And as she was driving home, here's what the Lord spoke to her, said, you bought that car without asking me first. And so she chose a good car, but she didn't know all of the information in the situation behind that decision, and it wasn't God's will for her life. Sometimes we make decisions without getting God's direction. And when we do that, we find ourselves outside of the will of God, even though it's something that looks good. 
I mean, this is the story of how redemption got started. Whenever I moved back from New York, me and Ashley, we landed here and we began looking for different pastor job openings and different churches that we could go and join. And I told God, I said, when we move back, I am not going to plant another church. I am done planting churches. So I sent my resume out. I had job offers in Washington. I had job offers to come and to be a campus pastor in Oklahoma City. There was a church out of Houston who wanted me to come and be a pastor. And they were offering me this thing called money and health benefits. Okay, planting the churches for eight years, I never had money and I never had health benefits. And I'm like, this looks really good. And so I sent my applications in, had different interviews, talking to different pastors. And every time I was talking to each one of them, I just never felt a peace about it. I just never felt released to be able to accept that position. And that's when I met somebody where I was waiting tables, somebody who had shared their faith with me, witnessed to me, who had been burnt and hurt by the church, and they had walked away from their relationship with God. And God spoke to my heart and says, this is why I brought you back to Beaumont, because if you don't reach them, nobody will. Plant a church for people who had given up on church. Now, what, what, would our, what, would, what, what would happen if I would have chosen good? Oh, it's a good paying job. That's good health benefits. That's a, that's a good church. I want to be a part of a good church. I mean, what would have happened? I would have chosen good over choosing God, and I would have missed out on all of the life change that we see happening here over the last five years. This is why it's so important for you to not just pray first, but for you to continually and to pray often. So let me just give you a couple of benefits of daily prayer. So that way you can incline your heart and in tune your mind to be able to listen to God. Here, here's what daily prayer does. Number one, daily prayer, it protects us. That there is a battle that we're all facing and prayer is actually a way that we can be protected from what the enemy has for us. So it's a protection. Number two, prayer changes things. Prayer changes the situations that we find ourselves in because you invite God's power into that situation and through prayer, God will change the circumstances that you are in. Number three, we see that prayer keeps you in the will of God. I don't know about you, but I wanna live in God's will. I wanna live under the favor of God. I wanna live under the blessings of God. I wanna live within the will of God. Listen, you can know God's word, you can know God's will, but if you don't wait on God, then you will not live in the will of God. Prayer is a form of waiting on God. Number four, prayer draws you closer to God. The Bible says that as we draw near to him, what does he do? He draws near to us. So if you're feeling far or you're feeling distance from God, the distance between us and God is really just our prayer lives. You can have as much of God as you want. You can be as close to God as you want. And the answer to the distance you feel between you and God is prayer. The next thing we see is this, is that prayer makes you, you happy. It's true. I know in the church, people don't like to talk about being happy, but the reality is prayer actually really does make you happy. Research has shown that when we pray for 20 minutes a day, it lowers the cortisol levels in our brain. It releases the stress that we go through and it drops endorphins within our own body. It is a biochemistry, spiritual act that we're participating in and it lifts our hearts, it lifts our mood, it lifts our attitude and it begins to lift our spirits. People who pray often, they have lower stress rates, they have less anxiety, they have less heart attacks, and they have better health, and they are generally happier people. Why? Because they pray. The next thing we see is prayer gives you peace. Listen, if you're in a situation and you don't feel peace, run. Just 
It's, it's wait on God. If somebody's pressuring you to make a decision, you got to do this now. You got to act fast. No, you got to do it right now. Close the deal. Seal the deal. Normally, that's always for their benefit and it's not for yours. If you don't feel peace around a situation, then God is not in that situation. Because the, because the spirit of God gives us a peace that passes all understanding. That's not to say that it's not going to be difficult or to be hard. But even when you're going through it, there is a confidence and there is a peace that is going before you. Prayer brings peace into the situations. It also makes you less selfish. Why? Because it's the opposite of what pride is. Pride is thinking more of yourself. Prayer is trusting more in God. So it makes you less selfish. It also makes you strong. Prayer is like a muscle. The more you use it, the stronger you get. If you don't pray, that muscle begins to atrophy and the weaker you will be. If you want to be strong, if you want to be courageous, like God has told Joshua and you and me over and over again, here's how we become strong. Here's how we be courageous. It's by spending time with God in prayer. Because it's prayer that makes us strong. And then it also gives us wisdom. That's what I pray for every single day. I I pray for wisdom. God, grant me wisdom. God, give me wisdom so I can lead the church, so I can be a good husband, so I can be a good father, so I can make right decisions. God, give me wisdom. Because so many times we find ourselves in situations that we don't know what to do. And so instead of seeking God to give us the answer, what do we do? We typically just go with our gut. We just say, well, you know, I'm just going to make this decision. And then we make bad decisions or we make decisions that we can't get out of that lead to greater problems because we don't have God's wisdom. The book of James says this. It says to ask for wisdom, seek wisdom. And whoever asks for wisdom, God will give wisdom to you. So that way it will be able to help you make the right proper decisions for your life. Ask for wisdom. And I was joking with our staff. I said, you know, lately I've been praying for a lot of wisdom because if God gives me strength and I'm going to kill somebody. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> sometimes it, it, sometimes it's like that though. How many of you all from the South side of the kingdom? That's where I'm from. All right. So I, I pray for wisdom. And then here's what happens. I, I want to Prayer brings victory. It brings the victory that God wants to do in our lives. If you want to experience victory, pray. If you want to experience God's best over your life, here's what you do. You pray. If you want to experience God's favor, if you want to experience God's breakthrough, here's what you do. You pray. If you're here and you need an answer to prayer, you know what you do? You pray. If you want to see your marriage restored, you pray. If you want to see your children come home, you pray. If you want to be able to see God's presence in your house, here's what you do. You pray. If there's a situation you're in that you need guidance to get out of, here's what you do. You pray and you pray and you pray and you pray. And when we learn to trust God more, and trust ourselves less, that's when God shows off and brings victory in our lives. It's through prayer. Don't settle for less than God's best for your life. So many people do because they don't learn to pray. And a lack of prayer is settling for good instead of believing that God wants your best. Which leads to point number three. Number one was this, is that we pray first because prayer is not a last resort. What is it? It is a first response. Then we pray often because we don't want good. What do we want? We want God, which leads to point number three. After you pray first, after you pray often, you pray again. At the end of the three days that they had made a covenant with them, they heard that they were neighbors. You mean you're from Nederland? You lied to me. You tricked me. You deceived me. Whose fault is that? 
You say, well, it's the Gibeonites' fault. Yeah, but Joshua is the leader. So ultimately, the responsibility lays on him. It doesn't matter if it's not fair because Joshua was deceived. He did not seek counsel with the Lord and he ended up making a, a bad deal. And the people of Israel is set out to reach on the cities of the third day. Now the cities were Gibeon and Sapphira and Beeroth and Kareth Jerim. Say it bold and nobody knows. But the people of Israel, they did not attack them because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. Then all the congregation, they mumbled and murmured against the leaders. I want you to understand something that prayer leaves a legacy because it impacts those who depend on you. If we pray, the people around us, they get better and healthier and stronger. Your kids get healthier and stronger. Your marriage gets healthier and stronger. With prayer, you leave a legacy. Without prayer, other people are affected as well. Your prayers have the ability to impact those who depend on you. And your prayerlessness impacts others as well. Now the leaders, they're mumbling against them. But all the leaders said to the congregation, we have sworn to them, to the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we may not touch them. This is what we will do to them. We will let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath that they swore to them. And the leaders said to them, let them live so that they can become cutters of wood and drawers of water for the congregation, just as the leaders had said to them. So Joshua summoned them and he said to them, why did you deceive us? saying, we were very far from you when you were dwelling among us. Now, therefore, you are cursed, and some of your people shall never be anything but servants, cutters of wood, drawers of water for the house of God. Then they answered Joshua, because it was told to your servants for the certainty that the Lord your God commanded to his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy the inhabitants of the land from before you. So they feared greatly for our lives because of you and did this thing. And now, behold, we are in your hand. Whatever seems good, and right in the side to do to us. So he did this and to them, delivered them out of the hand of the people of Israel and they did not kill them. But Joshua made them a day, cutters of wood, drawers of water before the congregation for the altar of the, for the, altar of the Lord to this day in the place that he, he should choose. Because Joshua did not seek God's direction before he made a decision, it had a lasting impact on the nation of Israel for generations to come. If you continue to read through your Bible, there's a story in 2 Samuel that the Gibeonites, they were awarded a plot of land right outside of Israel, seven miles outside of Israel. And they continue to cause problems in the nation of Israel for centuries to come because they invited pagans, non-believers, and people who brought about division within the nation to be their next door neighbors. And they had to continue to fight this battle throughout their entire history. There's a, a story in 2 Samuel where, where Saul goes in and he tries to destroy the, the, the Gibeonites. But because of the covenant that God had enacted generations prior, it brings wrath and judgment because there's some decisions, no matter if you were fooled or lied to, you cannot reverse. There's some decisions that you may be entering into and making today that if you don't seek God, it's not going to be able to be reversed. People make permanent decisions with temporary solutions because they don't learn to pray first, to pray often, and they don't pray again. Listen, I believe that many of you today, you're here and God has brought you here because you have a great decision that you're gonna make. 
And if you don't seek God's will on this decision, it could have devastating effects on your future. God has brought you here to say, wait, stop, slow down, not yet. Talk to me about this first. Come to me about this first. Because if Joshua would have gone to God before he made the decision, the outcome would have been completely different. There's some things that you really don't have to pray for. They're just in the moral will of God. So you ask, God, do I need to pray? No, you don't have to pray about praying. You just pray. Some things you don't, have to, you don't have to pray for, like, God, should I cheat on my husband? No, because that's in God's word. Do I, do God, what do, I, what do I need to do? There's some things you don't have. Should I, should I pray about tithing? No, because tithing is obedience. Should I pray about inviting someone to church? No, you shouldn't have to pray about that. Now, you should pray to be able to have the strength and power to invite. You need to pray to have the strength and power to love your spouse like Jesus loves the church. But you don't have to pray and ask God, God, should I love my wife today? No, the answer is yes. There's some things you don't have to pray about. But there are other things that you must go to God in prayer first. Because when we don't, then we end up making decisions that cannot be reversed. And so you're here today and you're entering into a big life decision. I believe that God led you here today to hear the word of the Lord for your life to say, wait, stop, slow down, seek my will first. And here's what happens. Is that you could do more than pray after you pray. You say, but I have so many things to do. That's great. But pray first. And you can do more than pray after you pray. But we need to learn how to pray first. And we need to learn how to pray often. And we need to keep, and we need to pray again. Listen, this is the only time in the entire story of Joshua that Israel is defeated. Right? And, and here's the reason why. It's because he didn't go to God first and ask for prayer. Every time Joshua prays to God, miracles happen. Joshua chapter 1. Joshua's praying, and here's what God speaks to him and says, you're the leader of the nation of Israel now. Be strong and courageous, for I am with you. Joshua chapter 2. He has a divine inspiration to send two spies instead of 12, and they go into the city, and God does a miracle through that. In Joshua chapter 3, they walk through the Jordan River. As soon as they pray, the river Jordan parts. In Joshua chapter 4, they pray, and God does a miracle. Joshua chapter 4. Five, they pray and God shows up again. They recommit themselves. In Joshua chapter six, they march around the city and they pray and the walls of Jericho fall down. In Joshua, he prays and the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ shows for him and says, I am gonna give you a battle plan that nobody could even imagine and I'm gonna give it to you and you're gonna have the victory. And he prays and he prays and every time Joshua prays, God, he gives the answer to prayer. But the one time he doesn't pray, it ends in defeat. How many times in our lives does God want to do for us? And God wants to bless us. And God wants to help us. And God wants to lead us. And God wants to guide us. But yet, because we think we know better than him, we don't stop, wait, and listen to him in prayer. It's so important for you to pray first. It's so important for you to pray again. It's so important for you to 
pray often. But probably the most important thing for us to learn is this, is that we need to keep praying. Say, how often should I pray? Always. Keep praying. You say, but I haven't seen an answer yet. You know what you do when you haven't seen an answer? You keep praying. But you haven't seen the victory yet. You know what you do when you haven't seen the victory? You keep praying. But you haven't seen the breakthrough yet. You know what you do when you haven't seen the breakthrough yet? You keep praying. And you pray, 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 and then you pray again. And then you pray often. And then you keep praying. I believe that for many of us in our lives, it's our pride that keeps us from prayer. Because prayer requires us to humble ourselves. Prayer requires us to decrease so that God can increase. Prayer requires us to sometimes hear the word no, and we don't like that. And we know that God's not going to bless something we want to do, and so we don't bring it to him because we think we know better than what God wants for us. And when we enter into that mindset or that heart posture, here's what happens. We rob ourselves of what God truly wants to do. And so we need to, as a church, just keep praying and keep praying. And so the opposite of pride is prayer. The opposite of prayer is pride. Pride is trusting in yourself more than trusting in God. And as I want to close, I'm going to give you one last verse to be able to just help you understand this. And and here's what it is. It's Proverbs chapter 3 through 5. Trust in the Lord with all your hearts and do not lean unto your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Say, God... Here's where I'm at. God, here's the choices that I need to make. Here's the battles that I'm facing and the decisions that I'm up against. I don't know what to do, but I know that you do. And so, God, I'm going to trust in you in all of my ways, and I'm going to believe that you're going to direct my paths and you're going to guide my decisions, and I'm going to follow after you. Here's the last note that I want to close with, and it's something that I share with you guys all the time at First Wednesday Prayer Night, and here's what it is. Is that your life is only limited by your prayers. Your life is only limited by the prayers that you pray. Settle in your heart that God is good. Get it in your heart that God wants good for you. Get it in your heart that God knows God wants what's best for your life.